Hey folks, and welcome back to the Theopolis Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Motes, and I'm the content manager at Theopolis Institute. We at Theopolis train men and women to lead cultural renewal by renewing the church. Participants in our programs learn to read the Bible imaginatively, worship God faithfully, and engage the culture intelligently. In this episode, we have the talk that I recently gave at the Theopolitan Ministry Conference here in Birmingham, Alabama. As we are putting several of these talks here on the podcast, and all of them will be on the Theopolis app very soon. This talk is titled Hymn Book of Hope, Singing Psalms with the God of Victory. We do hope that you have taken a chance to download the Theopolis app. We are putting new content over there on the app every week. And just this week, we released all of our podcast Q&A episodes in one place there on the audio tab on the app. With that, we hope that you enjoy this time of teaching, and we want to thank you so much for listening. And here is my talk from this year's Theopolitan Ministry Conference on singing psalms with the God of Victory. Well, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I am deeply, deeply honored to be speaking with you all today. Uh, As most of you know, this conference is the continuation of the Biblical Horizons conferences led by our friend James Jordan, which took place over several decades, a little further south from here in Florida. And I know this phrase is overused uh, in our world, but those conference recordings changed my life and have changed the lives and ministries of thousands of men and women, including many of you who are in this room. Uh, And I wouldn't be standing here and you wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Jordan and Myers and Lightheart and others. So uh, even though he's not in this uh, session, I wanna thank Peter Lightheart for the kindness he's shown me inviting me to speak to you all today. Uh, I'm Brian, Brian Motes, as you already know, and I'm married to Ashton. We have two wonderful children, Talitha and Abel. Ashton and I have been married for about 15 years now. Uh, I received my bachelor's degree in Bible and theology from Boyce College, which is at Southern Seminary over in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, And then my family and I moved here in 2014, and I moved uh, a couple of photography businesses down here at that time as well. I still work as a freelance photographer down here, and I've been on staff at at Theopolis as content manager for about seven years, almost to the day, believe it or not. Uh, So let's pray, and we'll get started. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our kinsman redeemer. Amen. All right, so the title of my talk is Hymn Book of Hope, Singing Psalms with the God of Victory. And I'd like to begin uh, by hearing a few passages of Scripture together. Colossians 3, 1 through 3, and then verse 16. If then you have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. In Ephesians 5, verse 1, Be imitators of God as beloved children. Ephesians 5:18 through 21. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then lastly, Galatians 2, verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives 
in me. Today my intention is to begin a formulation of a Theopolitan theology of singing the Psalms. And this involves singing the Psalms as they are written. And along the way, this will be tied to the theme of the conference, which is hope and victory. Uh, this won't be a full treatment on this topic or a full theology of music or singing as such, but more singing the Psalms specifically. Uh, there are obstacles in our way in being thoroughly textualized by the Psalter and of being Christians and communities of Christians who are regularly dwelling in the songs that God has given to us and communing with God in the songs that he has given to us. Consider this, before today's matin service, how many of us have sung a psalm as it is written in a faithful translation in the past week, in the past month, this year? How many psalms did you sing from beginning to end, verbatim, this last Lord's Day with your church? How many psalms do you have memorized? The Psalter is our hymn book of hope. And one of my goals is for every one of you to leave today encouraged in psalm singing, eager to sing them, and for you to have hope that there are practices and habits and steps that you can take to get this done in your personal life, your family, and your church. And if you're already doing this, uh, which many of you are, I'd love to stoke that flame that is already there. So as you'll see in your notes, I'm framing my talk around the four faces of the cherubim in Ezekiel and Revelation. Ox, lion, eagle, and man. These correspond to the four superbooks of the Bible and the different roles of human life, the Lord Jesus, and the church. The ox is priestly. The ox is associated with childhood. It's associated with obeying truth. The ox doesn't make decisions for himself, but does what he's told. This corresponds to the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, and to the Gospel of Matthew with all of its long passages of teaching. The lion is kingly. The lion bounds around doing things, taking dominion. The lion gets things done and is active. Kings don't just do what they're told. They have to use wisdom to make difficult decisions. This corresponds to the next New Testament in the Old Covenant writings, which is the books of Judges, Ruth, Samuel, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes, okay, since wisdom is associated with kingship. And in the four Gospels, is associated with the Gospel of Mark, where Jesus is shown getting things done, getting things done with his hand, and leaving places immediately. The eagle is prophetic. The eagle soars above everything without respect to the lines of property or place below. This corresponds to the prophetic books. Uh, the prophets don't just do what they're told, and they don't take dominion in the same way that kings do. Instead, they are invited into God's chamber to speak to him and with him in counsel, and then to speak his words back to the people. The eagle is associated with the book of the Twelve and with Chronicles, Ezra, and Nehemiah. And in the four Gospels, the Gospel of Luke and Acts, with their travel narratives and the movement of the Spirit. Okay? Now man, the man is entirely different than the other three. The man has dominion over all. Man moves from Adam to Christ, who is the entire man, the superman, the man of men. Man is associated with the entire New Testament as the church is the body of Christ. And in the four Gospels, this is the Gospel of John, which is totally unlike the other three. So that's the frame that's giving our look at psalm singing uh, some structure today. That'll help frame things up for us. The triune musical God sang the world into existence. 
He made a beautiful, full, and musical creation and gave it to man as his priest king to rule, have dominion, and mature both the creation and himself. Now, the serpent is evil. The serpent is crafty. In the beginning, the serpent began his the seduction of the woman by saying, did God actually say, you shall not eat any tree in the garden? And he went on to further twist the truth to lie to the woman. And because of this, the bride fell. So Satan came to disrupt the music. Satan was the first heckler. He went for the glory, the woman, to add dissonance to the harmony. The first temptation was many things, and one of them was to have Eve, Adam, and all of creation thrown out of tune from God, sent through the world into cacophony. So here in the very beginning, in relation to the Psalter, we need to remember that the serpent's schemes are still at work. With all 150 psalms, or 146, depending on how you count them, all 150 psalms right there in our Bibles, for the singing, the serpent still whispers in our ear, did God actually say, sing the psalms? Did God really give you songs for singing? Or we can even push that further and say that the serpent still whispers in the bride's ear, the structure of the psalms doesn't really matter. Change things in the psalms as much as you like. Listen, I know you believe in inerrancy, but the psalms really need to be reworked for a modern audience. Okay, so Satan's strategy is to silence and to twist God's word, God's psalms. As Peter mentioned earlier, there are two trees here. Are we going to trust God? The profound lack of seeing the psalms as they are written has led to what C.S. Lewis calls men without chess in an evangelical culture that in many ways does not know who she is at all. The Psalter is one of the big elephants in the room for the modern evangelical church. For the first 1,500 years of the church's life, the Psalter was her primary hymnal. But over the past few hundred years of church history, the Psalms as they were written were replaced by metrical Psalms, which can be just wonderful and awesome. And then those metrical Psalms were gradually replaced by hymns based on a few verses. And then those were eventually replaced by praise choruses all the way down to where we are now with the modern worship movement. Let's remember, the Psalter is God's hymn book. He wrote the Psalms. He breathed out the Psalms. He loves the Psalms. These things are basic, but the basics have passed many of us by, which leads to a disturbing lack of of appreciation for not just the Psalms, but the entire Bible. Psalms are associated with David and Solomon and were in and around the temple. We, the church, we as individuals, are the new temple. So a question, do psalms surround and indwell us? I submit that part of what it means to live under the authority of Scripture is to be found as singers of the psalms. Now, let's rewind back again. When God created the world, He sang the world into existence. And from there on, He was on a mission to make earth like heaven. God was and is still on a mission to heavenize earth. Man was made by God in his image on the sixth day to represent God in the world and continue his work in making earth more and more like heaven. God's work and man's work was eschatologically hopeful from the beginning. Adam as man was given the roles of priests, king, and prophet, as well as the roles of bride 
and bridegroom. Okay? Priest is the ox. Okay? And in his priestly role, Adam was called to guard the garden in truth and to worship with his worship partner, Eve. The lion is kingly. And in his kingly role, Adam was to protect the garden and to crush the head of any enemies that would come. As prophet, Adam was to be a conversation partner with God, talking with God and then speaking God's words to others, namely Eve and their offspring. And as man, Adam and Eve were created as bride and bridegroom. But because of sin, all of these roles, priests, king, prophet, bride, bridegroom, all of these roles were corrupted. And they were, we were broken in our relationship with God and with one another. Ox, lion, eagle, man were all broken. The totality of man became the wayward bride. What did sin do to these roles? Instead of acting like godly priests, man was and still is prone to corrupting God's word, to straying from God's word and offering corrupt worship and sacrifices. Instead of acting like godly kings, man is prone to being weak, limp-wristed, and following behind the troops instead of leaving from, leading from out in front. Instead of taking dominion like a lion, man tends to nap like a lazy house cat. Instead of acting like godly prophets, speaking with God in his chamber, man turns an indignant ear to God's word all too often. Man is often prayerless. We don't talk to God. We don't hear from him in his word. And because of this, we have nothing to say to one another and to the world around us. Now, throughout the Old Covenant writings, we see these roles of priest, king, prophet come up time and again. The world of the tabernacle and the temple pictured Eden to us in their various decorations and with their items of worship. The tabernacle and temple were places on earth where heaven and earth would meet. God would descend and fill the tabernacle and the temple. The priests would minister in this environment between heaven and earth. They were representatives of Israel, but they were also representatives of the whole world. And they would make right sacrifices, and they would lead the people of God in knowing God's law. And these priests would, they were called to protect the tabernacle and the temple, as Adam was to protect the garden. Then after the priestly phase, so that's priestly work, after the priestly phase, you have the kings of Israel, whose primary job was to follow God, and to lead his people in battle and in wisdom, and an example. The prophets were those who heard the word of the Lord, they spoke to God, they relayed God's word to, uh, to others, and back to the Lord. And these were often words of forthcoming judgment to the people, but also words of encouragement as well. In the Old Covenant, you can also see God being a faithful bridegroom to his people, his often unfaithful and wayward bride. Okay? Now, in this context, with all of these roles, priest, king, prophet, man, bride, bridegroom, in this context that the Old Covenant writings have built up, our Lord Jesus Christ comes. He comes as the faithful bridegroom to retrieve his bride. He came as priest, teaching God's law, teaching the law of God, fulfilling the law of God, as the tabernacle and as the temple. He came as king, leading his people from out in front and ultimately laying his life down for the people. He came as prophet, a man of communion with God and of prayer who spoke for the Father on the earth. And after his death and his resurrection, he ascended into heaven to the right hand of the Father. He has poured out his spirit on us, his bride, the church, and by his spirit, he has joined us to himself 
we are in union with him. We are one with our bridegroom and we share all of his rights and all of his privileges, but also his sufferings and his joys. God has made us priests, kings, and prophets in his kingdom. We are his saints by baptism and we have a job to do. We have songs to learn. We have fights to fight. We have sacrifices to make. As priests, we are royal household servants. We are to wage holy war in truth against God's enemies, putting on the full armor of God, and we are to approach the throne, the room of God, on behalf of the world. As kings, we are called to lay down our lives for one another. Men, especially, are to lead their families, the church, and to be men of backbone. Kings are called not only to lead, but to serve the weak and the vulnerable. As prophets, we are to be people of constant prayer, in communion with God in speech, but also in hearing his word and by speaking into the darkness of the world around us. Now, we've been talking for a while, and we haven't really mentioned much about the Psalms yet. So what does this have to do with psalm singing? All right, so I've, re- I've mentioned all this to remind us of who we really are. We are saints. We are priests. We are kings. And we are prophets in Christ, and we have a vocation. We have a job to do while we have breath. We are the bride, and we are in union with our bridegroom, the Lord Jesus. We're called to work with the greater David, the greater Adam, the great priest, the great king and prophet, to heavenize earth until he comes. And in each of these roles, priest, king, prophet, singing the Psalter plays an essential role. Now, about the Psalms. The Psalms are God's word. They are poems written to be sung and to be memorized. The Psalms are for singing. The Psalter is God's hymn book of hope. These are his praise songs. These 150 songs are for worship, devotion, private prayer, and are meant to textualize our life, imprinting God's nature onto our own. They're here to train us in prayer and in praise. Singing them is prayer. Singing them is praise. This is the only God-inspired, God-written hymn book that we have. When we sing them, we have no worry about the appropriateness of the language, of the wording, of the theology, and no worry of heresy. Okay, there's no singing a perfectly, perfectly good psalm and then out of nowhere you have some dispensational nonsense come up out of nowhere that just kind of smacks you in the face. There's none of that in the psalms. It's all good, all right and true. God intends his hymn book to be sung and to make up the core of our worship to him. Now, this was true in Jesus' day and was true for the first 1,500 years or so of the church. The psalms formed the core of the praise of the New Testament church. The Psalter was the hymnal Jesus would have known like the back of his hand. They were in his heart. Jews would sing these psalms day by day, and it formed the whole culture and the ethos of the world that Jesus inhabited. He knew these psalms well, and he was a thoroughly textualized man by the Psalter. He quotes the psalms, sings the psalms, and the psalms are on his lips as he breathes his last breaths. This is how Jesus sounds when he is victorious. As he defeats the enemy, the Psalms are what he sounds like. 
Singing the Psalms shaped the worldview of Israel as they sang these songs day in, day out. And indeed, the Psalms come up in the New Testament more than any other book of the Old Covenant writings, about 400 times in 260 chapters. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, and the others, they all allude to the Psalter so much because they knew it extremely well. They can use the Psalms so much, obeying Ephesians 5 that we heard earlier, because they're engraved on their hearts. And this only happens by diligent, religious, repeated exposure. Our brother Trevor will be speaking more about the actual contents of the Psalter in our hope this evening, but we need to know that all of these Psalms are true for us as they are true for the Lord, and we are in union with the Lord. Jesus made these psalms his own by singing, but not only that, okay? The psalms are written by the Holy Spirit, which is his spirit, the spirit of the God of hope. Every single psalm is fulfilled in Christ. They are fulfilled in him as the man, the bridegroom, and as the great priest, king, and prophet. Now, this should deeply encourage us and give us hope. Jesus, you've read the psalms. Jesus is no stoic, okay? Jesus is not without emotions. Jesus doesn't save us from a safe distance, but he enters our very existence as our representative and our savior, okay? He felt and he knew the times in the Psalter of praise, of trust, and he also tasted the darkness, the depression, the depths of despair found in the Psalter. He entered our very feelings of anxiety, of sadness, and our weeping. As our bridegroom, Jesus has left us with all of his favorite songs to sing to and with him. He's gone before his bride in suffering, and because of this, he's able to hold his bride's hand and lead her through the darkness, through the suffering, because he's been there already. Now, let's return real quick to the ox, lion, eagle, priest, king, prophet structure, okay? As priest, Jesus Christ gives us his psalter to instruct us about God, ourselves, where we come from, where we're going. As our priest, he has redeemed all of the darkness that pervades our world and our hearts that we see in the psalter. As our king, Jesus gives us his psalter to lead us in battle as his saints and holy warriors. He's a good king who leads from out in front. His spirit gave us these songs, and he has sung them before, and he's lived these before. As our king, he leads us to sing these songs about the enemy, who we now know has been given a death blow, and these things will one day be done away with forever. Okay? The imprecatory psalms will be answered by our Lord Jesus Christ, who will destroy all of his enemies. As our prophet, Jesus gives us the Psalter to encourage and help us engage in dialogue with him in prayer. In wonder of wonders, he gives us the very words to say and simultaneously speaks back to us in these songs. Okay? Before his death, these songs were on his heart, on his mind, as our prophet. Jesus uses his very last breaths to quote from Psalm 31, Father, in your hands I commit my spirit. Okay? All of the psalms have been fulfilled in Christ. All point to Christ not just select verses, okay? These are his songs. So how will we relate all of this, all of these roles and all of these things that we've said about Jesus, how do we relate that to us? 
Well, we are called to sing these songs. We are his saints. We are priests, kings, and prophets in union with the Lord Jesus. When he saved us, we were given a task. Okay? We were made saints, palace servants, and we are to join the Lord Jesus in his mission to heavenize earth. Part of this means that we want to sing and we want to worship on earth as it is in heaven. We want to sing the songs written by the one who is in heaven. As the bride, we want to please our bridegroom and sing his songs. Again, he wrote them. He loves them. We know that when we sing these psalms that he is pleased with them. Okay, we are to submit to Christ as our head, as his bride. And a crucial part of that is worshiping using the hymn book that he has left behind for us the songbook that he himself sang from. As priests, we are to instruct and admonish one another, singing these psalms to and with one another. Okay? I think this should affect actually how we hold prayer gatherings and other times of worship. We as priests are to sing the psalms, all of the psalms, in God's presence on the Lord's day on behalf of the world and for one another. But because we are sinners, this is how sin affects that role, because we are sinners, we're prone to be like Adam, we're prone to not li uh, listen to God's word. We'd be happy just doing what we've always done, singing what we've always sung, singing only what's familiar to us or comfortable for us or what catches our ear. But call, uh, God calls us in the Psalter to something better. Okay? He's given us 150 glorious songs to learn, and in Christ we want to learn them. The Psalms need to become what we've always sung, okay? It's a big shift that needs to happen. There's nothing more natural, though, for God's people than to sing the psalms written by our great high priests who we are one with. Now, we, we're not going to tease this out again like, like uh, Peter uh, didn't as well in his talk, but we do live in a hopeless world. Depression from mild to severe runs rampant. Suicide rates rose a full 30% from year 2000 to 2020. In the United States, 110 out of every 1,000 people are on antidepressants. And at a deeper level, apart from depression and suicide, the lies of Darwinian science has led seemingly all humanity to a place where the future isn't certain, it isn't hopeful, it's nothing. Nothing to hope for. I think we forget how deeply ingrained that is into the very bones of our society. So what do we do? Again, these roles. As priests, we are called to offer up our sacrifices of praise that honor our great God and wage holy war against our enemies and the enemies within and with our own sin. Okay, if we want God to give us hope to change the world, we're going to need to sing these psalms to him and call on him to uphold his word. Priests were like little kids, okay? They were told what to do right down to the letter. Okay? And as priests, God has just given us a hymn book to sing from. Okay? God says, sing these, and as obedient children, we want to say, yes, Father. Okay? So do we want to see God end abortion for good? Do we uh, want to see the desire for abortion end? Do we want God to give us righteous rulers and destroy the wicked? Do we want God to give us hope? We need to sing to God calling on him to rain down his justice from on high. And the primary tool that we have 
for our holy war is our worship, is the Psalms. This is our duty, this is our job, and it's one of the main reasons that we are enlisted in God's holy army. As priests, we are to put on the full armor of God for holy war, and a big part of our holy war is singing the war songs of the Prince of Peace. That's our priestly role. Now, as kings, we want to follow our high king, Jesus, where he leads and sing his songs as our own battle cries. But again, in our sin, we're prone to be like Adam. Okay, Adam sidestepped the serpent, and we're prone to sidestep him as well and allow something besides God's word to rule in our life. But again, in Christ, we want to learn these songs. These psalms give us backbone, okay? They give strength to our tendency to be effeminate. And I don't mean feminine. We need more feminine worship. If you go read the feminine worship songs in the Bible, they're truly terrifying. The Psalms make us stand up straight and fight with our king. Just as David the king defeated evil spirits with the lyre and used his fingers to fight, Psalm 144, so we too have a musical army in our churches. With our voices and with whatever group of musicians you can get together in your homes and churches, we wage war against the devil and his minions, and we will win. As prophets, we want to sing in communion with God, using his words that he has given us to do so. Now, when we sing the Psalms, he delights in them, and when he hears them, he promises to make good on his covenantal promises and change the world. We need to take up this mantle of prophet and commune with God so that we have a word for the world around us. But again, how has sin affected this role with us? Because we're sinners, we are prone to wander from our prophetic office. We're prone to neglect God's hymnal, which brings us into fellowship with him. We are far too often more excited to sing other uninspired things, man-made hymns. Now, many of these hymns are wonderful, and we should be singing them. I'm not a Psalms-only worship guy, and Theopolis as an organization is not a Psalms-only organization, but hymns are no substitute for the hymnal of hope. We want to be mature. We want to be mature in God's Word. And some would say that maturity is not always having the most choices to make at any given time, but the mature man, the mature woman, may be the one who makes the fewest choices because God has made the bulk of our decisions for us. We want to have a taste for the truth of the Psalter. All right, so here's a shift. Before we move to the man section uh, in your notes, I want to take a few minutes and answer why singing, okay? Now, uh, we all know that we have the Psalms in our Bibles. Okay? They, we, they've always been there since we were children. But why sing them? Okay? Is it enough to study them or enough to have a sermon series on them? Many or most churches today sing virtually no Psalms. In most churches, the Psalms are not the primary hymn book of the church. And uh, these, this is a list of nearly 20 points of uh, proactive reasons for singing them, okay? One, they were written to be sung and we need to honor their purpose, okay? Two, we are told by God explicitly to sing them and we want to delight our Heavenly Father and obey all of His commands and this is one of His commands, right? Three, we don't want to be Gnostics when it comes to God's hymn book, okay? We don't want to act like it's only the ideas in the Psalms that matter, okay? The, the Psalter is not primarily a book to be studied. It's not merely a book to be studied. 
and get the right ideas about God into our brains, okay? It's not just about checking off a box of assent that these things are all right and good, okay? God gave us a hymnal and we should sing. Our theology is not something merely on the page, but it's, and it's not just something to be analyzed. It's meant to be lived in, okay? Four, singing things over and over shapes our worldview and will shape how we look at the rest of the Bible and the world around us. Okay? The world around us, as we heard earlier, is a mess. The world around us is hopeless. And singing the Psalms will keep our feet on the ground of God's reality. Okay? Singing the Psalms changes us. They bring us into God's music, God's order, God's way of seeing the world. Okay? Then God's order bears down on us and imprints itself on our lives as we learn the Psalms. Okay? They train us in prayer and in praise. Number five, in singing the Psalms, God is inviting us to offer our entire self in praise to him. And in our flesh, when we come to worship, we're prone to cut these things out. We're prone to keep everything pinned up and polished and pretty, to cut corners in our relationship with God and with one another. But this is not the way of the Psalms. This is not what God is inviting us into with the Psalter. Okay? In singing the Psalms, God is inviting us to worship Him with our entire selves. Okay? That sometimes involves being angry with God, confused, confessional, or being honest about how we are flooding our bed with our tears. This will mean sometimes that we are admitting feelings of forsakenness, anxiety, panic, and we're given in the Psalter songs of begging, of pleading, of godly anger, and crying out for justice so that we can sing and shout these things to God and with each other. Okay? I want everyone to relax for just a moment. I'm going to sing a bit to you. And uh, I'm going to sing a little bit of Psalm 88, which some have seen as uh, the most depressed, the darkest psalm. I want you to relax. I want you to sit. You can close your eyes. You can look up. You can look down. I want you to receive this and consider what we've been talking about in the last a minute or so about bringing your entire self to God in worship. Okay. O Lord God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength. Like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. We want to worship God with our entire honest self. Okay, Psalm 88 is dark. 
but the psalmist is still talking to God in the midst of the darkness. All of human experience is brought into praise and worship in the sung Psalter. We can say to God, hey, this is where I'm at. This is who I am. And wonder of wonders, he accepts that because he's lived that. Okay. And not only Psalm 88, but the Psalms also express incredible joys and remind us of our history as God's people. All right, number six. A diet of primarily man-written hymns will also change us. Okay, now while many of these hymns are wonderful and excellent, right and good, and we should be singing them, far too many, far too many, lack the depth and breadth that we find in the Psalms. Okay, the devil loves an immature hymnal, and there are plenty of them out there. Number seven, in our worship, we should not be primarily asking what pleases uh, me, what pleases my ear. We should primarily be asking what pleases the Lord. Number eight, singing the Psalms is at least part of what it means to worship in spirit and truth. Okay? The Spirit wrote these songs just for you. Nine, we've said this already, but it's important to remember all of these Psalms are fulfilled in the Lord Jesus. They belong to him, and he invites us to sing them. The depths of despair and the heights of joy and salvation are in these prayers, and they are his prayers. Okay? He tasted all of the Psalms for us. He walked through these things. And just as heaven and earth met in the tabernacle and the temple, in Jesus, heaven and earth meet as well. And they also meet when we sing them together. Okay? Number 10, we want to worship and praise in a way that's filled with God's word. We want our worship songs to be biblical. Number 11, we, we sing to fulfill these roles that we've been talking about of priest, king, and prophet. Okay? Music is our sacrifice of praise, where God's words enter our very bodies as we sing and pray them. And when we sing what God has told us to sing, the walls of Jericho fall flat and crumble. Number 12, singing the Psalms will prepare you to die for the faith. It prepared our head to die. It will prepare the body to die as well. Thirteen, God not only loves them, but he uses our prayer and our praise to change the world. Now, in a hopeless world, the hopeful God wants us to bring these songs before him. Does the church know how to use the Psalter based on what's going on in the world and the community? So what if your church, just imagine this, what if your church, what if you, what if your community, you knew 50, 100, 150 psalms by heart, they were in your bones, okay? You would go about your week, you're starting to plan worship, you're starting to plan family worship, you heard this in the news, you heard about this sister who's sick, you heard about this brother who was in an accident, your child is acting up, uh, you're struggling with anxiety. Um, okay, we're gonna sing 7, 18, 46, 117 and 150, okay? I know what's going on in the world, but that doesn't shake the Psalter. Psalter has everything we need right there. Number 14, our children, if we sing the Psalms, will own these Psalms. If we sing these songs with and to them, they get easily, easily memorized 50, 100, or 150 psalms by the time they leave the nest and engage with the world most directly. Kids love the psalms. Okay, I've had the privilege of teaching dozens and dozens of kids the psalms. They gravitate toward them. They love them. They get excited about them. Okay, 
15. Singing the Psalms, the music of God's word, will open up the rest of the Bible to us in imaginative new ways. Okay, as we learn to murmur on God's law day and night, as we memorize the text, and as the text uh, textualizes our life, you'll read the Bible with more and more maturity over time. Okay, you've memorized Psalm 1, you've been singing Psalm 1 for years, but this time when you sang it and you started thinking about uh, the trees by, uh, by the water, you start thinking about Eden and you start thinking about Genesis 1 in new ways and you start thinking about other trees by other waters in the Old Testament. And these things all come together in really beautiful ways in the Psalms. 16, the Psalms bind us together with one another and the church universal. We need to sing the Psalms on behalf of those who cannot. Okay? We need to sing the Psalms on behalf of those who are suffering. Okay, we've also got to get comfortable, I think, singing and reciting the Psalms with, for, and to people we know that are suffering. Speaking and singing Psalms to our brothers and sisters connects them with God, who is hope-filled reality. Okay, number 17. Psalm singing restores our speech patterns to line up with God's. This is why Jesus and the writers of the New Testament were able to bring them out at a moment's notice, okay? And lastly, I've mentioned this earlier, uh, but 18, we could, we could just keep rattling off reasons to sing the Psalms, but we'll end with this one. What you think about, what you murmur, what you spend your days and your hours, what's on your mind, becomes how you view everything, okay? It's how you view reality. Okay, we are now at the man section. Uh, what, 40 minutes in. Let's get after it. All right, we've covered singing, and we've covered psalm singing in relation to our roles as priests, kings, and prophets, ox, lion, eagle. What about that fourth face of the cherubim? What about the total man? What about the New Testament as the fourth superbook? And what more can we say about psalms and hope? All right, for starters, I want to go over some biblical and theological basics and tie them into what our brother Peter Lightheart uh, spoke about earlier. Okay, again, Paul calls God the God of hope. In Romans 15. Hope can be explained as an expectation regarding our future. Now we learned that Christ hoped in his Father and that he lived and died in the hope of the resurrection. Now earlier again, Dr. Lightheart showed us that God reveals himself as the mutual hope of the Father for the Son and the Son for the Father. The Spirit is the personal love that binds Father and Son, so the Spirit is the mutual hope by which the Father and the Son wait for one another. Okay, there is divine hope because God is hope. The musical God, the singing God, is hope. He made the world, and his hope is seen in the world around us. History arcs toward more and more light, more and more New Jerusalem. The future is full of death and suffering, but after death comes new life. After death comes resurrection. Okay, all of history is heading toward communion with God. Now, let's consider man, okay, ox, lion, eagle, man. Man is made in the image of the God of hope. Hope is intrinsic to who we are. Now, because we are made in the image of the triune God of hope, we are all creatures of hope. Again, Lightheart states that we are created in glory, to become more and more godlike in glory. To be human is to live in the hope of glory. This God of hope that we've been already learned about this morning 
is the God who wrote all of the Psalms. So we can infer that all of the Psalms have an imprint of hope in them. Now, as I said earlier, even with Psalm 88, Psalm 88 was written by God, to God, in God. So Psalm 88 is not a hopeless psalm. It's a hopeful psalm. It's a hopeful psalm because God is a hopeful God. A hopeless psalm is the psalm of hopeless silence, of no communication at all with reality in the midst of our suffering, which speaks to what we can do to our people if we're not teaching them the psalms. Again, God is musical, and the musical gods sang the world into being. Man was made in the image of the musical, hopeful God. Adam, this is a neat picture, Adam sang over Eve when she was formed. Adam sang over his bride, signaling God singing over us. Eve embodied hope, expectation, indeterminate future manifestations, and her head rejoiced and sang over her. Okay? My point here is that Adam's actions in singing over his bride images God. He does that because that's what God is like. Made in God's image, we are to imitate God, as we heard in our scripture reading earlier. We want to think God's thoughts after him, feel his feelings after him, hope what he hopes for. We sing psalms to the God of hope. We've seen that already. But we also sing psalms with the God of hope. Now, don't... hmm. Let's receive that. Now, don't lose this. All right, God is a singer. Now, this is not some cute, vague, or hazy philosophical idea. God sings in heaven, and the psalms are the songs of Christ Jesus. It's not only his spirit that wrote them, okay? Jesus' own lips and breath and voice breathed out these songs with his physical voice while on earth, and he sings these psalms before the Father now. When we sing the psalms, we are joining in with the God of hope to sing with him, okay? We sing because we are created in the image of the singing God, and we hope because we are created in the image of the God of hope. And not only that, it just keeps getting better and better. We sing to God, we sing with God, and we sing as the body of Christ on earth. Jesus sings in heaven, and he sings in and through us his body. Our union with him is actualized in a very unique way when we, in the Spirit, sing the songs that the Spirit of Christ wrote to and with God, okay, as the body of Christ. Jesus sings through us as we sing the psalms. Our voice becomes his in this polyphonic moment, okay? When we sing the psalms, Christ sings us. Notice this movement and dance that exists between heaven and earth because God has given us dozens of songs to sing. All right, God's in heaven. God speaks and sings and the world's created. He sings and the world is made. He sings and man is made. Man sings over his bride, Eve. At crucial times of victory in the Bible, man sings back to God. The Spirit breathes out psalms for us to sing. Man breathes out these 150 songs back to God. Christ comes to earth. Christ breathes out these psalms during his life. 
Christ dies with the Psalms on his lips. Christ is resurrected. Christ teaches that all of the Old Covenant writings, including the Psalms, are about him. Christ ascends into heaven. The Spirit breathes out New Covenant writings, which quote the Psalms over and over. The Spirit breathes out Scripture that teaches us about our union with Jesus in baptism and our roles as saints. New Testament authors know the Psalms so well that they can place them in their letters and writings over and over and over. Anytime they need them, the Psalms are there. The Spirit breathes out new Scripture that calls on us to continue singing the Psalms. And now we sing the Psalms with our breath and our lips to each other and with God. In Psalm singing, God's Word enters our very bodies as we breathe them back to Him. When we sing the Psalms written by God, for God, to God, with God, we are actualizing in a unique way, a musical way, the truth that we share in the life of Christ. When we sing the Psalms, we are experiencing God dwelling in us by His Spirit. Christ's Word is dwelling in us richly when we sing the Psalms. When we sing the Psalms, we are learning to imitate God and His hope. In the liturgy, we inhabit the world described by the Bible. So in psalm singing, we enter the life of God musically in a unique way, entering His song and His dance with our own body and breath. And in doing so, God presses His pattern again onto us, okay, on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, so what can this actually look like? Now, I wanted to give some time here at the end to encourage you in some practical steps uh, towards singing more psalms in your personal life, your family life, your church's life. I love what uh, N.T. Wright says here. Here's a quote from him. The psalms are for every church to use in public worship in creative and imaginative ways, but also in ways that become familiar and traditional in the best sense so that the worshipers can slip into them as one would a comfortable pair of clothes. They are also there for every Christian, child, woman, man to use in their private prayers, both in the regular discipline of morning and evening worship and in the thousand moments during the day when something happens to which the first response should be prayer, whether in praise or in panic. All right, so chanting. A few comments about chanting. Chanting is an excellent way to sing the Psalms. It's simply intoning the text. We've done a little bit of that earlier today, so you've gotten to experience that. And it keeps the shape of the Psalm uh, as it is written in parallel lines, okay? Chanting should not be done low and slow, okay? It should be, for the most part, full-voiced and vigorous. And it should match the tone of the individual Psalm itself. Okay, so you wouldn't necessarily shout 88 every time you sing it. Now, the benefits of chanting, there's a few that I'd like to discuss. One, you get precisely what the Word of God says. Okay, you not only keep the Word of God, but you also get the important shape of the text. Okay, this helps us, these parallel lines that the Psalms are written in, this helps us think God's thoughts after Him. Okay, um, an example, the Word of the Lord, thanks be to God. Like those types of responses just get built in with repeated exposure in the Psalms. Okay? Psalms were written in these beautiful parallel lines, and the thoughts rhyme. Okay, so maybe the words don't rhyme, but singing like this uh, will allow the text of Scripture to shape us in our thinking and our feelings. Okay? Two, you don't have to read or read music to chant. Okay? Let's try this out. Everybody get ready to sing. Loosen up. Ready? Yahweh is my shepherd. 
Yahweh is my shepherd, nothing shall I lack, nothing shall I lack. Very good, and you can do that with a three-year-old, okay? You can do that with a three-year-old, a four-year-old, a five-year-old, those who don't know how to read well. And you can also do that with a church, okay? A church that doesn't know how to chant can at least do that call and response, right? There's places that we can start. Another benefit is that you memorize the actual text of Scripture, okay? So if you memorized only hymned versions of the Psalms, metrical versions, again, love many of those, uh, but you'll come to your Bibles and you'll start to read the Psalms and they won't be as familiar to you, okay? Uh, kids also, again, kids love chanting the Psalms if you, make them, if you teach them how to love it, okay? We don't need to be ashamed of the Psalms when we're teaching them to people. So if I... If I got in front of a, a group of children and said, uh, okay, kids, we're, uh, we're going to sing Psalm 47. Here's what we're going to do. Um, All peoples clap hands. And then they sing it. Okay. Shout to God with the voice of triumph. Shout to God with the voice of triumph. That's fine. But what you could do is say, all right, kids, here's what we're going to do. All peoples clap hands. And you're going to slam your hands together. You're going to stomp your foot. Okay, and the kids say, oh, I'm into that, okay? I've, I've seen the fruit of that, okay? You're not going to do that kind of thing on every psalm, but God tells us to shout, to clap, okay, to get our bodies involved, okay? He doesn't want weak worship. The only con uh, that I'll mention about psalm chanting is that it does take time to learn, okay? It's a bit like getting on a unicycle, learning how to ride a unicycle. It takes time, or riding a bike, I should say. Uh, but, you know, remember Chesterton's words, anything worth doing is worth doing badly at first, Okay? So, let's envision a few things, and then I hope to sing Psalm 46 and 47 with you in just a moment. You need to set a vision for psalm singing in your life, in your church's life, if you're a pastor, and in your family, okay? This is important. It does not have to be lofty or unreachable, okay? Know where your family is at. Listen, one new psalm a month for you personally or for your family, that's 60 psalms in five years, 60. One new psalm every two months. Let's slow it down even more. 30 psalms in five years. You know what that's a lot better than? No psalms. Okay. Now, I dream about this regarding our family worship. I literally think about, you know, my son's 21. He's at college. He comes into town. My son currently is seven. He's not 21 in college. Uh, let's just say he is, and he comes home, and I'm doing dishes. Uh, just to be able to jump into a psalm together, something that's a dream of mine. Okay, so think about your day. What does it look like to murmur on the psalms? You might be singing them full voice, okay, as we do in church services, but once they're memorized, you can truly meditate and murmur on them day and night like the blessed man of Psalm 1. An example, you wake up, you're in the shower, Psalm 1. Blessed and Mary is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. This is about, you know, the, the, uh, how loud you, you might be shouting in the shower, who knows. All right, so you're, uh, and then morning prayer, okay, you're praying. Why do nations conspire? Psalm 2. And peoples murmur a vain thing. Positioned are earth's kings. All right, you're driving to the store. Psalm 3. Yahweh, how many are my foes? How many are rising up against me? Okay, you're driving home from the store. Psalm 4. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. You're folding laundry, Psalm 6. Yahweh, how many are my foes? How many are rising up against me? You're mowing the grass, Psalm 12. Help Yahweh, for the godly person is no more. Okay. You're still mowing the grass, 
Psalm 23, Yahweh is my shepherd, nothing shall I lack. Evening devotion, Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Okay, you're in the waiting room awaiting results from a difficult test. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea. Roe v. Wade's overturned. Psalm 47. All peoples clap hands, shout to God with a voice of triumph. For Yahweh Most High is awesome, a great king over all the earth. Psalm 150 for Lord's Day worship. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty firmament. Okay? This is what it can look like when you have a dozen, two dozen, three dozen, four dozen psalms. It changes how you walk about your day. This is what it can look like in your life to meditate on God's law day and night. It becomes far easier if you chant the actual text. Okay, so sing the psalms all the time. Okay? Home group, family worship, men's groups, women's groups, gatherings around beer, scotch, ladies who knit together and go on walks together. Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Pastors, I encourage you not to let this slip, okay? It's very easy for a church to get into rhythms, liturgical rhythms, that could improve. And I'm not talking about the liturgy structure itself. Okay, I'm sp talking specifically about paying attention to what the flock is singing. Think about ways to do this that won't hurt the flock, though, okay? Maybe start slowly by removing uh, hymns that are problematic. Maybe add a chant to a Wednesday night rotation. Maybe teach on the issue first. Whatever your church needs, know your people. Okay? And if you can't sing, work with someone who can. No shame in that. Okay? Work with a cantor or a group of cantors. But at least set the agenda and get your people moving in that direction. All right. Think about the formation of the church in our weekly liturgies and our belief in the primacy of the word and sacrament. Okay? We, all, we hold the, the word and the sacrament so high, which we should. Okay? But there's this kind of dance that happens back and forth where we have the public readings of Scripture and the preaching and the bread and the wine. But then when it comes to singing, we're leaving the word over and over. Our people are getting thrown in and out all the time. Okay? Part of worship is putting ourselves under the authority of God, under the word of God. So let's do that with our music as well. Okay? So here's an example of what this could look like in the liturgy. Real quick. You started to introduce some psalm chanting very slowly, okay? um, or at least the idea of it. So the Lord's Day service has started with a strong call to worship. In a robust, beautiful hymn, you've confessed your sins and been declared forgiven, followed by another glorious hymn. Then after a first scripture reading, it's time for the lessons in the Psalms. And someone stands up and does what I just did a minute ago. Yahweh is my shepherd, and then everyone sings it right back. And you want to model, don't just say the words that I'm singing, sing the way that I'm singing. Okay, so if you sing weakly, the people will sing weakly. Okay? Uh, but if you sing strongly, or get the right person to, it'll happen. Okay? So chant during family worship and sing glorious hymns too. Okay? My, my family is not perfect uh, on this by any means, but for family worship, we simply sit down on the couch, chant a psalm, hear the word, and pray. Okay? That's it. So imagine this. Here's a vision. It's the year 2028. You, your children, and your church know 50 psalms by heart. You sing them all. You sing all 150 psalms. But you've done the work and you've fully memorized 50. You're singing four, five, six psalms verbatim every Sunday with other great music, our best hymns, and our best metrical psalms. You sing one or two at every other service that you have. 
okay? And you're practicing psalms during your monthly gatherings. Your church knows them so well that you can imitate the writers of the New Testament in their use of the Psalter. So a brother comes to you and he's, he's angry about something, okay? You can just simply say, be angry and do not sin. And he knows Psalm 4. He knows what you're calling him to. He can leave, you guys can leave that conversation reciting Psalm 4 to one another. So as one teacher has said, the Psalms are good enough for Jesus, so they're good enough for us. Jesus is our worship leader. He is the worship leader of the church universal, and he calls the shots on what we sing. This is part of our calling as the body of Christ, in union with the man Christ Jesus, in our roles as priests, kings, and prophets. The Psalms prepared Jesus for martyrdom, for the hope set before him, and they will do the same for us as we sing God's reality into our own. The word of God in the Psalms forms you more and more into the image of the God of hope. This is the conversion that we need every day. So, to end, God is the God of hope. The Psalms are our hymn book of hope. When we sing them, we actualize our union with Christ in a unique way as we sing with our breath what he breathed out by his spirit. Let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. Let us stand between heaven and earth as God's people and sing the hymn book that God has given to us. Let us sing on earth as it is in heaven for his glory, for us, and for the sake of those around us. The psalms sung, the psalms chanted, full-voiced, with joy or sorrow. This is how we sound as we win. Thank you again for enjoying this episode of the Theopolis Podcast. For more information and for more content from Theopolis, you can check us out online at theopolisinstitute.com. We release new articles every Tuesday and Thursday on our blog, so you'll want to make sure to look out for those. You can also find us on Twitter at underscore Theopolis and on Facebook if you just search for our name. If you've been helped, sharpened, and encouraged by this podcast, we'd really love it if you would go to iTunes and leave us a review. It just takes a few seconds, and it really will help us along in getting our content in front of new listeners. That's all for now, friends. We really look forward to being with you all again in the next episode. And as always, thank you so much for listening.